Hi everybody, it's Richard Zwicky with the Green Peak. And joining us today, we have Darren Weiss, who's the COO of Verano. Welcome aboard, Darren. Thanks so much, Richard. Great to be here. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, Verano's been a really interesting uh, story in the marketplace. It's, uh, you know, you're operating in multiple states, growing quickly and have a really strong reputation out there. Tell us a bit about your journey within the company. Absolutely. So um, my journey started uh, actually before there was a Verano. Mm-hmm. I, um, my background is in law. I was a transactional regulatory, uh, regulatory attorney uh, for a number of years. I began working in the cannabis space uh, back in 2015 right. as a lawyer. Um, at the time, there were very few, I'm based on the East Coast, there were very few folks um, in business law who were really uh, working in cannabis. Yep. No, no big law firm would, would, uh, would commit the grave error of admitting that they were uh, involved in cannabis. And I was at a firm that was very entrepreneurial and, and, and let me sort of run with this. Right. Um, built up a big a book of business and then was approached. Um, I had a client in Maryland uh, who had, a, uh, had won a cultivation license, was approached um, by a guy named George Arcos based in Illinois who had had operations in Illinois, who was interested in buying my client's license, worked on the transaction. As soon as it closed, George called me and asked me to come join him and, uh, and see what, uh, what we could do in, in putting together a national operation at the time. Uh, although I, I came in as a lawyer, uh, we were standing up operations on the East Coast. George asked me to sort of jump into operations, and I spent the, the first year and some doing nothing but operations. Right. Um, after which, um, we felt it was time. The time was right to to consolidate uh, assets across the country and create Verano, uh, which we did in 2017. Right. Uh, and then 2018 um, brought together assets at that time, really just in three markets in Nevada, Illinois and Maryland mm-hmm. and uh, never looked back. <laughs> after yeah. that. Um, you know, it went from 100 employees to 4,500 employees, went from three states to 15 states. Over a course of a, of a couple of years, it's been a, a wild ride, and I've enjoyed any, every minute of it. Um, I stepped That's, back in, into yep. the legal side at one point, took the company public, did a lot of... Um, yeah, you went public of, on the CSC, right? We went public on the CSC, that's right, in, uh, in February of 2021. Okay, so that like was better than trying ago, to but, do it in uh, yeah. 2020 or mid-2019. I went through that, and that was no fun. <laughs> yeah. It's it's uh, it's certainly not for the faint of heart. I'll give you that. Yeah, it's a, it's a you know it's a lot of work, but it's also an incredible amount of uncertainty because things can change overnight, right? Market the bottoms fall out of markets, and that's what happened to me. But it just happens, and then other times the market spikes just when you're listing, and you just wonder, you know, you're golden. Which is what happened to us. We came in right at that high point. Yep. <laughs> oh, perfect. So you know, actually. Um, I do want to talk a bit about your growth, but one of the things that uh, struck me as I was looking through the Verano site is, um, you know, you've got a couple of interesting statements and, uh, you know, one is cannabis should be better. And I'd love to come back to how, but also how you're looking to change the market, because I noticed you're hiring a head of government affairs and policy, which is a lot of your background with a mandate for working with the government, the legislators and federally and in the various states. So, how are you looking at Verano helping change the market? Sure. Uh, so let's start with the with the first question about making cannabis better. Sure. Um, this is really a driving uh, a driving mantra for us uh, as a company. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to you know the early stages of our business, um, when we got involved in cannabis, uh, 
back in 2015, 2016, um, which is not that long ago, but in cannabis, of course, it was, it cannabis was eons, eons right? So, <laughs> um, you know, it, the, the industry was a very different place. This was a time when um, folks didn't go to buy cannabis from a specific brand. Uh, if they wanted to buy East Coast Sour Diesel, they went and bought, bought East Coast Sour Diesel um, or Blue Dream or whatever it yep. was. We had the idea early on that branded cannabis was really the wave of the future um, and started creating Verano. Actually, at the time, it was Gold Leaf. That was our first brand. Um, branded cannabis, um, which was a, a way of helping consumers understand that there is a value difference um, between, um, you know, buying, let's say maybe something that's, uh, grown, uh, outdoors, um, in with using certain environments versus a, you know, a, a cultivated product indoor, uh, with much more dialed in environments. Um, and really from that moment on had the approach, um, that whatever the best in class was, whatever the, the status, uh, of the, um, uh, of the industry was in terms of best practice, in terms of best product was that we could do better. Uh, and I think we've proven over the course of our history uh, that we've been able to do that. Um, we are an operator's company. Um, I think one of the things that differentiates us from a lot of the other tier one operators is that we came into this, uh, into this business with, a, with an operator's approach. Uh, our founder and CEO, he has a background in restaurants, started his first restaurant when he was 18 years old. Um, and, uh, never has never sat behind a desk has probably never even worn a tie around his neck. Um, and that's just not the way that we're built. Um, and so coming at the business with that really operational focus, focusing on quality, uh, first and foremost, um, to the, um, uh, to the exclusion sometimes of some of the, uh, bureaucracy and red tape that, that, that we find our fellow folks, our fellow, uh, industry participants mired in, um, has been a real boon for us and it's been great. Um, that being said, obviously the industry has changed a lot. Uh, it absolutely has. We've been involved. Um, you know, we've always been involved at a certain level in terms of uh, government affairs and lobbying with respect to the regulators that we deal with on a daily basis in each of the markets in which we operate. Um, but uh, being at the size that we are, and given how much money we spend on taxes, <laughs> yep. given two eighty, uh, and and uh, given how much money we spend. Um, you know, dealing with these various governments, um, we are beginning to look at this industry in a, I would say, as a, a more mature place to uh, place to play, right. uh, which is one of the reasons, as you mentioned, um, we're diving further into uh, legalization and legislation efforts at the federal level, which is something that's new for us, candidly. Um, wasn't really a, an area that we played in. Um, but, uh, you know, we see the writing on the wall just as much as everyone else does. We we know that legalization is not a matter of if; it's a matter of when. Uh, we know that safe banking and uplisting to U.S. exchanges is is also inevitable, uh, and it's important to us that we are um, that we are uh, not being reactive; that we're being proactive in those efforts to be, really be able to take advantage of the business. Oh, absolutely! And you know, with regards to that, how legalization is inevitable. And there's going to be a lot of steps between now and then, um, you know, and, but the day it happens, we're going to also have a trans, bit of a transformation in the industry where it's not just going to pass and all of a sudden it's a free for all. There's going to have to be an alignment of the whole regulatory framework, but also a definition of how the FDA is going to be involved. How do you, how do you look at that? 
So it, legalization is really interesting because it's treated, I think, in many ways as a monolith, um, that legalization means X. And the truth is that legalization, um, as I'm sure you know, and many of your listeners know, can take many different forms. Uh, yep. We could see legalization in the way um, that, uh, that the Democrats have proposed. We could see legalization as the way Nancy Mace has proposed it um, in her recent legislation. Um, right. and, and, and the the differences, even even what may seem as somewhat small differences from a legislative perspective, have tremendous, tremendous impacts on the way that we operate our business. For example, um, the extent to which states will remain very much in control of the regulatory structure depends upon um, the way in which legalization occurs. Um, the ability, the availability of interstate commerce, um, the, uh, the, uh, the participation of the FDA and the DEA, and some of these organizations um, very much depends upon the way that legalization occurs. Um, and I mention all this because it, it makes the legalization uh, exercise from, a, from an intellectual standpoint um, one, of, uh, one of, of lots of if-thens, if Absolutely. you will. Absolutely. Um, because you can't, it, we're not planning on, on one sort of legalization capital L. We have to plan on all the different ways in which legalization can occur. You have to have, uh, have a solid foundation, no matter which way the market turns on that perspective. And that's, 100%. that's challenging, yeah. right? That's it's, a lot to look at. It's, it is challenging. It is challenging. Um, I, I think that the, the benefit, though, um, having been in the industry um, for as long as we have, and I say that, of course, with understanding that no one's been in the industry in a large scale for very long, um, but we've sort of we, we sort of have a sense now of how these things move. I think that we believe uh, very strongly that we're going to see um, we're going to see uh, uh, banking and liberalization on the financial front before we're going to see legalization. We also believe very strongly that states will continue to have a very um, active role in the regulation of cannabis, not unlike we saw alcohol post-prohibition. Yep. So it's been legalized, but the states still control licensing, the still, states still control advertising and various other things. Um, I think that um, that, that is going to be the way uh, that we're moving forward. And so I would say from a preparation standpoint, many of our efforts um, are, are geared in that way. Um, you know, one of the things that I like to highlight and, and something that I think that folks forget is that legalization, even in the guise of um, the legislature, the federal legislature, leaving the situation up to the states, will open up interstate commerce, uh, whether it's explicit or implicit. Um, it's a provision of the U.S. Constitution uh, called the Commerce Clause. Actually, it's what's called the Dormant Commerce Clause, uh, that, that states can't prohibit interstate commerce if, the, if, if it's allowed at the federal level. And so what that means for us is making sure that we are nimble in terms of how we've built out our facilities across the country, right. such that we can really take advantage of interstate commerce. Um, well, let's come back to that yeah, in sure. a minute. We do have to take a short break, but we're going to be back uh, with Darren Weiss from Verano in just a minute on The Green Peak. The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. And we're back on the Green Peak with Darren Weiss from Verano. And Darren, you know, just before the break, one of the things that just popped up was regards to interstate commerce and legalization. And, you know, that brings up a fascinating issue for a business like yours, which is looking towards the future and operating in so many states where some are vertical and others you're allowed to pick and choose the area of the market you're going to really work in. And in some, you know, some cases, I was talking with a couple of people a couple of weeks ago, you know, and 
they're bothered by the interstate commerce, which already exists illicitly, but some markets are a lot cheaper to produce in, and some markets are a lot better to produce in. Today, you're stuck with having to be vertical in many markets, but how are you planning your facilities and your growth strategy with an eye towards when that changes? I'm glad you asked. The, the, this, I think, um, highlights something that differentiates Verano from many of our competitors. Um, for each of our cultivation facilities that we operate, uh, we own those facilities outright. Mm -hmm. um, we have never engaged in any sale leasebacks um, um, and don't rent um, the facilities that we operate out of them. So what this allows us to do, and that's a very, um, it's been a very, um, a very purposeful move on our part. Right. Um, thinking toward uh, toward legalization and uh, and interstate commerce, it allows us to be nimble. It allows us to divest of assets that we no longer need or repurpose those assets without having to deal with an intermediate intermediary. Right. Um, and uh, it allows us as well to uh, really be able to optimize our, our production. So, um, you know, we have a, a number of large scale production facilities. Um, all of them are capable of producing our high quality flour. Mm -hmm. um, we grow exclusively indoors, which means that really no matter where we are across the country, um, we're able to get the, the same quality uh, out of our facilities. And so it's really a matter of um, thinking through um, thinking through marginal cost. So where, um, where, is, uh, uh, where is it best to produce um, given labor rates, uh, given materials, um, and given transportation costs? And so as we think about interstate commerce, um, our, our goal is not to move away from that strategy. Um, we are not, we will probably never be a company that buys up a million acres out in Humboldt um, yeah. uh, to, to grow a large scale, high volume. Um, that's just not our business model. Um, but we will, um, I think for the foreseeable future, have multiple points of production across the country, um, all uh, facilities built to our, um, to our specifications to really be able to produce that high quality. Um, and with the flexibility that owning these own uh, these facilities uh, gives us to be able to uh, pick and choose and uh, and have flexibility in that regard. Oh, that's excellent. And you know, with that eye towards the future, um, does Verano look outside the U.S.? I would say, uh, with a uh, a sideways glance, it's in our peripheral vision. Um, right. It's probably the best way to put it. Um, right now, we are really focused on the markets that we are in and expanding into markets that make sense for us. Um, we've been approached and have reviewed uh, many, many, many opportunities worldwide uh, in South America, in Europe, in the Middle East, um, uh -huh. even in um, in Asia. Uh, and have not found anything to date that we really thought uh, melded with our business model, which again is to produce uh, premium quality products for the premium consumer um, in a uh, in both rec and medical markets. So um, we, yeah, the uh, international I would say markets are much more. They're, they're, you can't produce for rec. You produce you ship for medical, and it's the receiving country who then defines what medical constitutes, and it can be right. anything that they decide is you know is medical at that point, but the international trade has to be just in medical. Correct. Right. Which, you know, limits some options, but also opens up other doors. It does. It does. Um, and I would say, you know, broadly speaking, everything is on the table when it comes to uh, growth opportunities for, for <laughs> our business, um, but nothing, nothing in the works currently, uh, seriously. Right. Yeah. No, it's, 
it's always good to have an eye towards towards the other markets because things like you know Germany is so impactful with the moves they make through you know all of Europe's going to pretty much have to follow them just because of the nature of the EU but also their power within the EU and what Europe does because it's such a you know it's a block of what 370 odd million people it can't be completely out of lockstep with North America or the US right yeah, so. yeah, you know, and, and beyond Europe, uh, I've been very, very interested. In we, as, as a company, have followed closely um, uh, the Israeli market as well, yep. um, particularly with respect to the uh, research and development that goes on there. That's um, a I think, huge area where they lead everybody. Absolutely, absolutely. So that's been fascinating to watch, um, and um, I, I, I think there's definitely opportunity there as well. Yeah. So then, focused over the near term, where do you see your biggest growth? So I, I would say that um, our strategy is twofold. We are um, really primed ahead of uh, ahead of adult use turning on in a number of markets uh, that we see as being big drivers of growth over the next couple of years. Uh, mm-hmm. New Jersey, as you probably know, just turned on uh, adult use. Um, we will be entering the uh, New York market with our uh, goodness growth acquisition, uh, which we hope to close by the year's end. We will be... Um, uh, uh, taking advantage of the turnover in Connecticut, uh, which we'll hope will happen by Q4. Uh, Maryland uh, announced that the legalization question will be on the ballot in November. And so we anticipate adult use sales there next year. Pennsylvania has been very vocal about getting involved in the uh, adult use market. Uh, We also believe that that uh, is on the horizon for next year. Um, So lots and lots of runway with respect to that turnover from uh, from medical to adult use. We've been through it now, uh, I think, four or five times across the United States and, and see what it does uh, for the business. And it, it's very exciting. Um, and then I would say, um, you know, a couple of the other states that we're, we continue to be uh, very sanguine about, uh, Florida is just an incredible market. Um, yes. The opportunity to, to really control the ecosystem, um, particularly when, um, you know, as we do, we're able to control that premium price point and not engage in some of the price wars uh, and, and heavy discounting that our competitors have done. Um, so we see healthy growth in Florida uh, over the next couple of years with additional store counts. We're building out additional capacity there, a new <laughs> cultivation facility uh, in the northern part of the state. Um, and, uh, and there are some new markets um, that we are keeping a close eye on, uh, Georgia, Virginia, and uh, Alabama amongst those. Um, uh-huh. In addition to just deepening our pe- penetration and market share in some of our core markets, Arizona, Illinois, and Nevada, right. uh, we just ex- ex- um, are uh, completing an expansion project there, closing on an acquisition hopefully in the next month, giving us oper- opportunities in the western part of the state. So there's oh, lots excellent. of yep. yeah, lots of organic growth opportunities as well. So, you know, and one of the things that just struck me as you were speaking is. I mean, as new states come on, they can learn from the mistakes of the prior states, but you have to deal with all of them. Which state, you know, is the best and easiest from a business perspective and which one has, do you find has made the most, put the most barriers up intentionally or otherwise? You're going to get me in trouble now. Yes. Um. (laughs) So um, it can be a state that is nameless. You can just tell me yeah. the first and last letter. No, no, no. I, it's, <laughs> it's fine. Um, I would say let's start with the, the latter first. Sure. Um, I, it's no secret, I think, to you or your listeners that New Jersey has been 
uh, historically a, a tricky state to operate in. I think the state, yeah. um, particularly with respect to the, the adult use rollout, which had been promised and then was pulled back and then promised mm-hmm. and then pulled back. And then, of course, when it finally came, it was sort of like, you know, you've got two weeks now. Um, and so that was tricky, um, and, and particularly as the state is uh, has changed their manufacturing standards um, and has changed a lot of things. They're undergoing a lot of growth. I, I, I will say that um, they are absolutely on the right track. We've been really, really happy um, with what's gone on there over the last couple of months and the changes they've been making. But uh, admittedly, it was a, it was a difficult state um, for us to uh, to operate in. Um, on the other end of the spectrum. Um, I would say it's probably a, a harder question to um, to pinpoint one or two states. We've had uh, we've enjoyed great relationships with our regulators in a number of markets: um, mm-hmm. Florida, Maryland, Illinois, Arizona. Um, you know, all states that have been uh, extraordinarily helpful. Sorry, uh, extraordinarily helpful in terms of um, uh, relationships with the regulators. Right. Um, Arizona is just one that stands out as, as being one that um, I think gives the most leeway. That's to been doing a lot of things right. Yeah, yeah. It um, particularly with respect to M and A. I mean, I I, uh, I certainly understand why states uh, want to have a, a large part in uh, transfers of ownership and 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 some of the pieces that go along with mergers and acquisitions. Um, but the states have really made it difficult in some cases, uh, making us wait years and years before mm-hmm. they'll able uh, enable us to close on a transaction. Arizona happens to be a state where you send the state a notice and you say, here are the new owners. And if you have a problem with that, let us know. Uh, yeah. And that makes a huge difference. Um, it's just speed, like any other yeah. business, right? It should be, even though it's, you know, it should be, it's regulated, there's compliance perspectives, but it should be handled like anything else. I certainly wouldn't argue with that. Yeah. Um, Darren, we have to take one more break, but we're going to be back on The Green Peak with Darren Weiss from Verano in just a minute. I'm Richard Zwicky. The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. And we're back on The Green Peak with Darren Weiss from Verano. And Darren, you know, you're operating in many markets, and one of the things we're seeing more and more, and there's been lots of discussion, you see it you see it globally, you're starting to see it in different areas of the states, is people are identifying uh, particular varietals to particular brands or to companies, <clears throat> but brands are going to be something people will ask for. They're not really asking for particular, um, you know, an average customer walking in the door doesn't really want to know too much. They want to know an effect or they want to know how is this product differentiated. And with branding, you have the chance to associate quality, you have the chance to associate um, results and effects and uses that gives people the sense of, you know, I, I was in Florida and now I'm in Arizona. I see the same brand. I could have the same product, which is what everybody talks about, like with aspirin, Tylenol around the world. It's the same. How are you approaching branding and differentiation? It's a great question. Um, this is something that that we think and talk about a lot, um, Richard. The uh, from a branding perspective, um, you know, as I've mentioned, we have always occupied that premium space. We've always been interested in selling our flour um, at, at making sure that our flour was of the highest quality and sell, sell, selling it at the highest price point. As the markets have matured, um, as uh, we've seen stabilization in pricing. Um, well, and even some volatility, it's been important to us to really uh, ensure that we're participating up and down the value chain. 
Um, and so one of the things that we've done uh, is really create a differentiation around our product lines um, to differentiate our premium products from products that may be more success, uh, accessible excuse me, to, uh, right. to different, uh, different demographics. Um, so our premium products are and have always been uh, hand-trimmed, hand-packed, um, cured for extended periods of time, generally 30 plus days. Um, which is uh, pretty atypical uh, yep. for those in the industry. That is very um, Yeah. And so uh, at this point, we've rolled out now in Illinois and are participating in some rollouts uh, in other areas across the country, uh, a new a mid-tier line, which is our essence line of flower, um, which is uh, a shorter cure period. It's got, um, uh, it's, it's machine packed and trimmed, um, which uh, as your listeners may know, uh, just, will have an impact on the, the size of the bud that's available um, to you in your jar. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as well, participating, um, rolling out in uh, Q3, Q4 of this year, a value brand, which will be large format, uh, grind and small bud flower. Um, are the same strains that we're producing in our uh, top tier and mid tier, um, but just to get a more accessible price point for the consumer. Um, you bring up a, also a really, really interesting point with respect to uh, standardization. So uh, it being an agricultural product, um, there's uh, always going to be some variability. Um, but historically, as, as we've seen in the industry, there's lots of variability, um, not just from state to state, market to market, but also harvest to harvest. And I think that's something a lot of people who are not in the industry don't understand, that it is yep. a sensitive plant, but there's always variability. And that's a challenge for anybody in the medical market, but also in recreational where people are looking for a particular effect. It sure is. It sure is. Um, and, you know, we've done a couple of things to, to, to address this. Uh, number one, um, particularly in my time as COO, um, have taken a hard look at procedures um, and practices across the country to make sure that as much as possible, we are standardizing um, right. And that goes from everything from uh, nutrients to lighting uh, to environmental set points um, and uh, and procedures, post-processing procedures as well. Um, and so that's been a really great experience, um, really being able to make sure that uh, when we pinpoint best practices, we're able to replicate those best practices across our markets um, to uh, to decrease as much as possible the the variability that we see. Uh, certainly from harvest to harvest, but also from state to state. Um, we've done the same thing with respect to manufacturing standards in our products. Um, and this has been a particular, uh, I wouldn't say a challenge, but something that we've had to address, uh, particularly as we've been so um, uh, so acquisitive. Right. Um, many of our facilities had been operating in different ways before we came on board. And, um, you know, like anything, folks, uh, folks don't like to change. Um, and so it's really been a process to make sure that everyone operates up to our standards and produces the same quality products across the markets um, that we operate in. So, um, so we you see have to go as, through the process of also standardizing the SOPs and retraining everybody to follow them, basically. Absolutely. As you go through. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, which, of course, uh, has lots of implications, not just in terms of how we work with our employees and the plants and the products, but also our regulators, who um, some regulators really want to have a, a fair amount of say in terms of your procedures and processes and formulations. Right. Um, so it's a it's a it's a process, but we've made tremendous progress there. And I'm really excited about um, what folks will be seeing um, throughout the course of this year and beyond um, to really be able to get as close as possible um, with a with a flower product, uh, mm-hmm. but definitely with processed products. That standardization from market to market and understanding 
um, you know, that our G6 uh, flower in Illinois is the same G6 flower in Arizona, in Massachusetts, in Maryland, what have you, right. um, and the effects. And then the last piece I would throw onto that is, um, is the consumer education piece of this. Um, I see, you're already seeing this on the, on the West Coast markets, and I see the trend as markets mature, particularly in the Midwest and moving east, a trend uh, away from focusing purely on potency uh, mm-hmm. and really moving towards terpenoid content, uh, flavor, color, texture, taste. Um, these are all things that, that get us really excited um, because you know we know that we can. there are different things that we can do to, um, to increase potency in a flower uh, or decrease potency into a flower, but the, the, the taste of the product, the smell, the, the look and feel um, are, I think, um, going to be very, very important moving forward. Just like you don't buy a beer for its alcohol content, um, I think in the next 10 years, you're not going to buy your cannabis for its THC content. There's going to be more to the picture. There's a lot more to it. And it's, you know, it's interesting you bring that up. There was an article, I think, in Green Entrepreneur, uh, somewhere came out May 9th, May 11th timeframe, um, talking about the shift towards the interest in terpenes, but also people recognizing that the the effect of the different flavors and tastes is much more important to them than just the high. A hundred percent. And also it impacts the high. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, you, the, the difference historically, if you had a flower testing at 17 and a flower testing at 20%, um, your consumer would say, I want the biggest bang for my muck. I, you know, I want the 20%. And there's a, an educational component that says, well, hold on. Um, maybe the 17% flower has, let's say, more myrcene. And we know that myrcene changes the uptake of, uh, of, of, uh, of THC. And so you may f- feel uh, uh, more of the effects from the 17% flower than the 20% flower. And that, there's a lot of that, I, I think, that, um, that we're really beginning to see gain traction. Mm-hmm. No question, there are still folks in markets who come in and they say, give me the flower that's going to get me the highest, the fastest. Yeah. And there will yep. always be folks like that. Of course. Um, but there's... Um, just like so teenagers come in looking for the overproof, right? You got it. You got it. Um, but uh, but we're really working on uh, on on um, ensuring that uh, that we're able to uh, satisfy the consumer, the the, the connoisseur, and, and the day to day consumer moving forward with these uh, with these upcoming trends, and are very excited about the direction that's moving. Well, that's excellent, Darren. Unfortunately, we are out of time for today, but I'd like to thank you for joining us on the Green Peak. Thank you so much for having me, Richard. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and thanks to everybody for listening. We'll be back again with you next week. And Darren, sorry, before I sign off, people want to learn more about Verano. Visiting the website, the URL, how do they learn more? Sure, please visit us at verano.com. Um, you can also find links there to our social media accounts, Instagram, Facebook, what have you. Um, and uh, we would love to, uh, to have you try some of our products. Yeah, and on the site they can also learn about your they have your investor relations page. But um, yes, so we do have an investor relations page. Our ticker is VRNOF on the OTC uh, uh-huh. or VRNO on the uh, CSE. Perfect. Yeah, and there's so much to learn, and uh, the growth you've had is phenomenal. It's a great company to watch. Thanks so much. Thanks to everybody for joining us on the. Uh, Green Peak, we'll be back again with you next week. And I'm Richard Zwicky. It's been a pleasure.
The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.